Good morning. Good to see you all here this morning. What a blessing it is to have uh, the sun shine on our face after the rainy day that we had yesterday. God is good, and that is certainly true. A lot of people think that preachers are um, beyond temptation, beyond being tempted, but that's just not true. We are. We're subject to temptation just like everybody. I have my temptations, uh, and I want to tell you one of my temptations this morning. I'm sitting in my church office uh, Monday through Thursday, and on the desk is staring up at me a hundred blizzard cards that I give out to the kids on Sunday night after they say their memory verse. It is all I can do to not take one of those blizzard cards and go down to Dairy Queen with it and get a blizzard. <laughs> one of my big temptations. Uh, what I want to do so bad, take one of those blizzard cards, go down to Dairy Queen with it, and try to convince the lady as best I can, instead of giving me a blizzard, give me a hot fudge sundae. I love those things. I love hot fudge sundaes. I love everything you put on them. I love the nuts. I love the chocolate syrup. I love the bananas. I love the whipped cream. I even love the little cherry that you put on, on top of it. I love all the ingredients. But when you think about a hot fudge sundae, what makes the hot fudge sundae is not all of the different ingredients. What makes the hot fudge sundae is the ice cream. If you didn't have the ice cream, what would you have? You would just have this sugary blob of mess. <laughs> you, would, you, would, you wouldn't have anything without the ice cream. All you would have was this, is this mess. But it's only when you have that key ingredient, it's only when you have that ice cream do you have a complete hot fudge sundae. For the past several weeks, we've been talking about the home. We've been uh, looking at a series called Fortify the Home. We've been looking at men's roles, at women's roles, at children's roles in the home. And this morning, we're going to be concluding that series. We're going to be wrapping everything up. And the main question that I want to ask this morning and pursue as we continue over the brief few moments that we have is this. What's the key ingredient the key ingredient that serves as the foundation of a fortified home. What does it all boil down to? Everything that we've been talking about in this series, what's the main point? What's the key ingredient that makes a fortified home? That's what we're going to be talking about this morning, and I believe the answer is found in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. So take out your Bible there with me and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and let us open up God's Word together and see the key ingredient in a fortified home. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now to give some background information before we begin, remember that the, the, the book of Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law of Moses. It's a recapitulation. 
It's a recap of the law that has already been exp uh, expounded upon and proclaimed within Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. The law of God, it was given once to the children of Israel that uh, were slaves in Egypt. God delivered them out of bondage, out of slavery. Um, uh, but we know that they rebelled. They complained against God. They uh, rejected God. They chose to serve other gods. They chose to disbelieve God and not believe that He has the power to sustain them, to protect them, to fight their battles. The text describes them as a stubborn and a stiff-necked stiff generation. And because of that, they faced God's judgment. They weren't allowed to go into the promised land that God had promised. But now, in the book of Deuteronomy, what we see is this new generation that stands on the brink of inheriting God's promise. Remember, several hundred years prior to this, God made this promise to Abraham that he would bless him and his descendants, that he would give him a name, that he would give him a heritage, that he would give him a legacy, that he would give him a land, that he would give him a nation that would be so numerous that they would be like stars in the sky and grains of sand on the seashore. That's God's promise. And this new generation that the book of Deuteronomy is being addressed to stands on the brink of inheriting the land that God promised to Abraham. They're standing just east of the Jordan River and they're ready to enter into the land of Canaan. They're ready to enter into God's blessing. But before the children of Israel cross over the Jordan... Before they receive the benefits and blessings of God's promise that he made to Abraham, Moses gives it to them straight. He tells it like it is in the book of Deuteronomy. He gives them the most important thing they need to know. And we see it within Deuteronomy chapter 6. Jesus refers to it as the greatest command because everything we do hinges upon it. It's the key ingredient to success and blessing and life when they cross the Jordan and enter into the promised land. But it's also a grave warning because everything will lead to complete catastrophe if they neglect this, what we are going to talk about today. Look with me in verse 4, if you will. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, Shema Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. The text says, listen and hear this, hear this, O Israel, because this is important. Moses proclaims, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Now, this is a statement of exclusivity. The Lord alone is Israel's God, the only one. It's a statement that refers to God's uniqueness. He is unique above all other gods and is the only one, the only one who is deserving and worthy of their entire life, of their worship, of everything that they can give. All the Canaanite gods that they're going to encounter when they cross the Jordan and enter into the promised land, they cannot 
hold a candle to the glory and worth and value of Yahweh, of this God. And because of that, because of the fact of God's uniqueness, His oneness, this should be Israel's proper response to Him. In verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God. Because this one God who is high and holy and mighty and whose worth and value far surpasses any other, the only proper response that one could display toward him is to love him. Love the Lord your God. Love him. You shall love the Lord your God. Now hold on there just for a second. Hold on there, pause. Click the pause button. That sounds really weird <laughs> to us in our generation, in our current cultural context. This, what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in the first part of verse 5, notice that this is a command. This is God, th uh, through Moses, telling the children of Israel something to do. God is telling them to love Him. You shall love the Lord your God. Now, I'm going to ask a question. Within, with our understanding of love and how love is described in our world, how in the world can you command someone to love someone else? That seems nonsensical when we think of our perception of love out in this world today. We see love as something that happens to you, something that you are struck by, something that may be a feeling that comes over you and takes you captive and controls you, not primarily as something you do. It's not so much a verb or, 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 or most certainly a command. It seems kind of nonsensical to command someone to love someone else because love is something that happens to you. You know, we say something like, you know, we got a new kitty cat and we just fell in love. We were just captivated with this uh, animal, and, uh, and, and, and this feeling just came over us. We also say things like, I just don't love him anymore. I have fallen out of love. So, with that understanding of love as something that happens to you, as something that comes over you in view, how can I realistically be commanded how can I follow a command to love someone? It's because that this kind of love that we see within the book of Deuteronomy and in the rest of Scripture is a different kind of love that uh, is according to a different definition than uh, our current understanding of it. This kind of love that God is commanding the children of Israel to do and us today, it has to do with loyalty. Love, to love, is to be loyal to someone. Notice in Deuteronomy chapter 7, the next uh, chapter over, Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting in verse 7, Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 through 9, says this, It was not because, and, and this is, uh, he's, he's talking to Israel as a whole, it was not because you were more in number, than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you, 
for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you, and notice this, and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. Now, we see within this text this kind of love that is being described in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that God is commanding His people uh, because God displays the same kind of love to them. You know, God didn't lead Israel out of slavery and guide them through the desert uh, to, to the promised land uh, just, just because he was overwhelmed with affection uh, be, because, of this, because of this people, more so than all the other nations. It wasn't because this nation uh, struck God as, um, as, as, as better than everybody else around them. It wasn't that God was overwhelmed with this feeling for this particular person and not for th- not this particular person. That's not the idea of love that we see God displaying toward His people. God loved them He loved them because he made an oath to their fathers who came before them that he would bless them and be their God. God's love that he expresses toward his covenant people is expressed through loyalty, through what he has promised. That's love. That's a biblical understanding of love. It's being loyal It's a loyal, committed response to a promise that you have made, a covenant that you have made with another person. We say, till death do us part, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer. That's a promise to love. It's a promise to be loyal. It's a promise that says, I'm going to be devoted to you despite my feelings and what my desires are telling me to do and despite what comes over me and takes control of me. I'm going to be loyal to you and love you. That's God's response to His covenant people. And when Moses says, you shall love the Lord your God, he's saying, You shall be loyal to this God. You shall be faithful to this God because He's the only one who's worthy, who's unique, who has more value than any other God that exists within the world or doesn't exist, rather. And the the loyalty to God um, that Moses is commanding here this kind of loyal love, it, it goes beyond just mere surface-level uh, casual devotion. Uh, there's an extent to this kind of loyalty that God commands the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's look at the extent of this love, how far this loyal love is supposed to go. Notice with me uh, the, the entirety of verse 5 in chapter 6 verse 5 of Deuteronomy 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. 
We see the extension of this loyal love here, the extent of this love, this command to love the Lord your God, the extent of it, how far it goes, is all of you, the entirety of who you are, all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your might. As we look at a Hebrew understanding of the word heart, you see that the heart is it's the seat of the mind. It's the seat of the will. It's the seat of one's emotions. Uh, the heart, as described in the Bible, is the internal part of a person that makes you, you. you. That's what makes you, you. So the command to love God with all of your heart is a directive to express loyalty to God with all that is within you. Everything that is inside of you is to be expressed to God with loyalty and with devotion. Loyalty to Him through the worldviews that I choose to feed into my mind and, and, and choose to believe and adopt and, 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 and act upon. Loyalty to Him by the decisions I make. Loyalty to Him in where I choose to direct my affections within life. All that is within me, with all of my heart, is to be directed to God with complete loyalty. The text also says, love God with all your soul. Love God with all your soul. What does that mean? If you look at how the word soul is used, especially um, within the first five books of the Bible, nephesh in Hebrew, uh, you'll see that it refers to a creature as a living being. If you look in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. He became a living soul. The Hebrew idea of the soul, it, it's, it's intended to make a connection in our minds to both spiritual and physical life. So, it seems as if when Moses says, love the Lord your God with all of your soul, he's taking a step from the internal to the external part of a person. In other words, he's saying, love God internally and love God externally. Love God with your whole life, with your whole being, all that comes out of you is to be directed to Yahweh and, and, and is to um, declare Yahweh as Lord. We love God with our soul by what we do with our hands. We love God with our soul when we use our talents that He has given to us for His glory. We love God with our soul by how we react to challenges and suffering in our life when we remain loyal to Him even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. All that is within me and all that comes out of me is to display loyalty to this God, our God, Yahweh. And then lastly, it says, love God with all your might. With all your might. The word rendered might here, it usually functions as an adverb within the Old Testament, uh, most often translated as very, very. And that, it, it's, it's a word that signifies intensity. 
uh, as it's used in other places. God saw everything he had made, and it was very good. Same word rendered might in this text. Uh, Another example, so Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Another example, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful, signifying intensity. We're to love God. What Moses is telling us here is that we are to love God with our veriness, with our veriness. All that is within us and all that comes out of us is to express loyalty to God with intensity with an exclamation point attached on the end of it, with our might, the absolute best that we can do, attach a big very to the way you love God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. And that's what it means to love God with all of your might, to do so with intensity. Love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. Our our loyalty here to God is to take control inside of us, outside of us, and all around. In, out, and all around are we to express loyalty to this God. That's what we are commanded to do. That's what God wants from you. He wants your love in that way. All of your heart all of your soul, all of your might, your complete loyalty to Him. A spirit of complete loyalty to God is the foundation. It's the key ingredient of what makes a fortified home. You know, it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what I think is best. My definition of how things should go, of right and wrong. It doesn't matter what pleases me in the moment. It doesn't matter what entices me and lures me. It doesn't matter who discourages me and puts me down. It doesn't matter how much I suffer. This God is one. He deserves my loyalty all that's inside of me, all that comes out of me, and everything I have at my disposal is going to be directed to Him in commitment and in loyalty. Brothers and sisters, that's the command we have from God. That's the greatest command. And that's the key ingredient to making a fortified home. Now, notice with me the next passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 9 through 6. I find it interesting that the greatest command is placed directly beside instructions for the home. Look in verse, um, uh, starting in verse 6 here. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Moses is saying here, he's saying, remember this. Remember this. Don't forget it. Make this spirit of loyal love to God the foundation of your home. Teach it diligently to your children. Uh, Some translations even render this, 
drill it into your children <laughs> by everything that you by everything that you do pray with your children read the bible together with your children have spiritual conversations regularly with your children serve together use everyday life opportunities uh, everyday moments in life as as these teaching opportunities to to teach our children a love for god and a loyalty for god and a devotion to god Talk about God. Talk about Jesus and His Word when you sit in your house, when you're out and about, when you lay down, when you get up in the morning. Put it on your, it's even necessary to put it on your forearm. Put it on, put it in between your eyes because it's this important. Put it on the doorframe of your house so you never forget this one command. Be loyal to God. Be loyal to Him. Because everything hinges upon this spirit of complete and utter devotion to the one who is worthy. It's the key ingredient to life and healing and joy. But if we don't embrace it, it leads to catastrophe. It leads to ruin. As we see within the story of Israel, they throughout their history neglected this time and time again. But as children do, sometimes they ask why. Why, 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 why in the world do I have to do this? Well, the Bible is gracious enough to give us an answer to those questions. As we close, look, at, look, at, look with me in verse 20 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse 20 through 25. Here's what you're supposed to say to your children when they come to you and say, what's the point of all this? What, what, what do these things mean that we're talking about? Why do I have to do this? Here's what the text says. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What do the testimonies and statutes and the judgments mean, which the Lord our God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. Moreover, the Lord showed great and distressing signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt, Pharaoh and all his household. He brought us out from there in order to bring us in, to give us the land which he had sworn to our fathers. So the, so the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God with all, for, for, for our good always and for our survival as it is today. It will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all this commandment before the Lord our God, just as he commanded us. So when the son asks, what's the meaning of this? Why do I have to do it? What's the point? Why do we have to be loyal to God? Because sometimes it's not that fun. Why do we have to do this? Why in the world should I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all of my might? And here's what the Father is supposed to tell him. He's supposed to tell him how much God has done for him. Son, I was a slave. I was nothing in Egypt. And this God, this God, he brought me out from there. Even though I wasn't deserving even though I, I couldn't offer him anything that would benefit him. He took me. He took me in. 
He took me in as a stranger, as a foreigner. He protected me. He gave me guidance. He gave me a blessing. He gave me a land. And he continues to do so. And son, he has transformed me from the inside out. That's why these things matter. That's why you should love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. It's because He has first been loyal to me and continues to do so. And you can see His blessings in every sphere of life as you meditate upon them and as you look close enough at them. This tells us I believe how we're to instill this loyal love for God in the next generation. We've got to let our children know how loyal God has been to us, how much Jesus Christ has transformed us by His blood, and how much He continues to do for us. Tell them of God's loyalty to you personally. Give your story to them and how His loyal love has changed you, has transformed you, has, um, has, has ripped apart uh, who, who you are at your core, and has given you a new heart, all for your good, all for your blessing. That's what this text is saying. That's how you build a fortified home. You allow God's loyal love to you as revealed through His blessed Son, Jesus, to change you and transform you from the inside out. And you let your kids see that transformation, that change within you. And you're bold enough to proclaim it to them. We're not going to impact the next generation if we do not do this. We will not have fortified homes if we do not do this. If we don't show them, our children, how awesome this God is and how powerful He is as evident by what He has done within me. Love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. Because why, why, why? Because this God has loved you with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his might, as we see through the blessed blood of Jesus Christ. Let the world see that love in you and build your home upon that, and you will be blessed. This morning, the invitation is extended to you. If you have any need, if you have uh, prayer requests, you can come forward and let that be known today. Also, if you don't know Jesus Christ, uh, we urge you today to believe that God sent Him in the flesh, that He lived for us, that He died for us, that He rose for us. Repent of your sins. Go the other way. You can come forward and confess faith in Him today and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins and begin a relationship with Him. Don't wait if you haven't done those things this morning. If you have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?